ladies and gentlemen, I want to share with you that some of you already know that it's hard. It's not easy. How's it going, everybody? I'm your host, Dylan Trevino, and you're listening to another episode of the Hoop View Podcast. If this is your first time listening to my podcast, make sure to go check out my previous episodes before you listen to this one. And also make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Hoopview Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a tough one to listen to, but I think it's an episode that everyone needs to hear about. For this episode, I'm going to cover some NBA players that have protested against the murder of George Floyd, some college players speaking out on the Floyd case and racism as a whole, and some minorities that changed the game of basketball. Before I go over the first topic I'm going to cover, I want to send my deepest condolences to the Floyd family. I hope that he and his family receive justice for what happened to him, but more importantly, I hope this is what allows us to come together and stop racism. With all the protests occurring right now, many NBA players have shown their support for Floyd and have gone out to protest against police brutality. One of the players that you may have seen protesting is Trey Young. Trey Young participated in a protest and gave a speech in his hometown of Norman, Oklahoma. In part of his speech, he said, I know this country is a messed up place right now, and for me, I just think it's important that we all stick together and stand up for what's right. It's not going to take just me. It's not going to take just you. It's all of us coming together and doing this as a collective unit. Another player that may have been seen protesting is Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics. After driving 15 hours from Boston to Atlanta, he marched in a peaceful protest holding an I Can't Breathe sign, which happened to be George Floyd's last words. And one of the last players I'm going to mention is Steven Jackson. NBA great Steven Jackson was a good friend of George Floyd. He has done many interviews and has participated in numerous marches. He vows that he will get justice for Floyd and that he will be there to take care of Floyd's wife and daughter. And recently while walking around Minneapolis, Jackson held George Floyd's daughter on his shoulders while she continued to say, Daddy changed the world. I know there have been some bigger players out there protesting such as Damian Lillard and Stephen Curry, but the ones that I covered stuck out to me the most. And to slide into the next topic, with all the protests and marches going on right now, I wanted to talk to some college athletes about the Floyd case and also racism as a whole. The first player I got to talk to was Javon Levi, who is currently a point guard at the University of Texas, RGV. When I asked Levi about his view on the George Floyd case, he said, I think it is completely wrong what happened to him, and all the officers involved should be charged with murder. And when I asked him what it was like to be an African-American male, he said, it is the best thing in the world to be an African-American male. Although we face challenges, we're so creative, smart, and versatile, you can't ask for anything better. Talking to Levi gave me some good insight, but the next person I interviewed seemed to be as ready as he could for these questions. The next person I had the liberty of interviewing is Keaton Wallace, who is currently a guard at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Before I had even got Wallace's answers to my questions, I knew he was ready to speak on the situation. I hope y'all are ready for this one because this man gave me every little thing that I needed to know. When I asked about his opinion on the George Floyd case, he responded with, First off, I would like to say rest in peace, George Floyd, and I pray his family is staying strong through this tough time. But what was going on in that moment was a black man being racially profiled by four officers. Police are supposed to service, guide, and protect their communities no matter what race or ethnicity. So for the officer to have no conscience and take the breath out of another human being with brutal force is heartbreaking. This only happened because the man was black. He was already face down on the ground, hands behind his back. Being in that position makes you vulnerable, and there is no possible way that anyone can be a threat to an officer who already has the lethal and tactical weapons on his belt. So for that officer to put his knee on Floyd's neck while he already has no way to resist is full-out murder. I hate to see this happening in our black community. 
Just with that statement alone, I knew Wallace was passionate about the subject. I agree with this statement and I believe what happened to George Floyd was uncalled for and needs to be stopped from happening in the future. After hearing this from Wallace, I wanted to know how he felt about being an African American male. He said, as a little kid, I was taught certain skills that helped me protect myself from being racially profiled as much as possible. I was taught that when I go into a store with a jacket or a hood on it, I need to pull the hood down so people don't think that I'm stealing or even when I do this, owners and the people shopping just like me are staring at me just because I'm black. I was taught that when I get stopped by the police, I don't need to respond in anger even when I know I haven't done anything wrong. To be respectful to the officer because I need to do as much as I can to get out of the situation safe from harm. To tell the officer if I'm reaching for my wallet before making any movements. And when I reach for my wallet to make this movement slowly to protect myself as much as possible. And doing the same when I need to reach for the insurance in my car. As a kid, I went through these things so many times that I started to get immune to these inequality situations. And that's not fair for a kid to have to go through all these circumstances to protect themselves for the rest of their life. I had a conversation with my family a few days ago when everything was happening, and I felt as if I hadn't faced a lot of racial profiling situations in my life. But after a long conversation with my family, my eyes opened a lot more, and I go through these things on the daily. So I started to think that it was normal for me to do all these things I was taught as a kid, which is sad because I have become immune to myself and my peers surrounding so much that I don't identify a lot of things being done to me as a black man. As black men, we shouldn't have to teach our black children to do these things because everyone should love each other no matter what race. I don't like seeing people going through this on a daily basis. Thanks to Wallace, his answer really helped me try to get an understanding of what it was like to go through this discrimination and having to fear for your life because of the color of your skin. I will never fully understand what African Americans go through on a daily basis, but just because I don't understand, that doesn't mean I can't stand with them and support them when they are in need of support. Shout out to Javon, Levi, and Keaton Wallace again, and just based on their answers, I know they have bright futures ahead of them. And with that being said, I want to spread some positivity during this dark time by covering some of the most powerful minorities that changed the game of basketball. I use minorities because we must all come together and unite if we wish to see a change in the world. The first player I'm going to be talking about today is Mahmoud Abdul Rahouf. Just to give some background on him, Rahouf played in the NBA for 10 seasons, for teams such as the Denver Nuggets, Sacramento Kings, and Vancouver Grizzlies. He won Most Improved Player of the Year in 1993 and participated in the slam dunk contest that year as well. And in 1998, after Rahouf's last season in the NBA, he signed a contract with the Turkish Basketball League. Now let's get to how Rahouf changed basketball. In 1993, Rahouf converted to Islam and decided not to support the national anthem because he felt it disrespected his beliefs. He said it represented oppression and tyranny. So Rahouf would usually hang out in the locker room or walk around the sidelines while they played the national anthem before the games. That was until one game where he decided to sit during the national anthem in front of the entire Denver Nuggets arena. The NBA did not appreciate this act and suspended Rahouf for not standing during the anthem, which would cost him $31,000 for each game he missed. After being suspended for only two days, Rahouf and the NBA came up with a compromise. Rahouf would not be able to sit during the national anthem, but he would be able to bow his head and close his eyes during the anthem. During the time of the national anthem, Rahouf would bow his head while he would recite Islamic prayers to himself. Just two years after his suspension, no teams wanted anything to do with Rahouf, which was why he was forced out of the league and ended up signing with a team in the Turkish Basketball League. This was the first protest in basketball, but nobody really knew about it because back then, nobody openly supported him through his protest the way athletes did recently with Colin Kaepernick. Although not many players supported Rahouf during this time, it definitely was a huge turning point in basketball 
and eventually led to more players to protest in the NBA, such as when players like Kyrie Irving, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James wore I Can't Breathe shirts after Eric Garner was murdered while being restrained by multiple officers. While being restrained, Garner shouted out I Can't Breathe 11 times till he lost consciousness and eventually passed away. The next person I want to talk about is actually not just one person. The group I'm actually going to be talking about is the 1965-1966 Texas Western Miners. The 65-66 Miners represented Texas Western University, which is now the University of Texas at El Paso. The team consisted of Jamal Murphy, Orston Artis, Louis Budin, Willie Cager, Harry Florinoid, Bobby Joe Hill, David Latin, Dick Myers, Dave Palacio, Togo Rayleigh, Neville Shedd, and Willie Worsley. While being coached by Don Haskins, who is now in the Coaches Hall of Fame, they were the first team in their conference to have an African-American player on their team. But rather than just getting one African-American player, they decided to pick up seven. After going 21-1 during the regular season, they earned a spot in the NCAA tournament. During the NCAA tournament, they defeated Oklahoma City, Cincinnati, Kansas, and Utah to make it all the way to the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game, where they would end up facing the Kentucky Wildcats and Hall of Fame coach Adolph Rupp. Before the championship game, after receiving so much hate and disrespect due to the African-American players they had, coach Don Haskins decided that for the NCAA Championship game, he would only play as African-American players. This was a very shocking and controversial move by Haskins, but he did not let any media or hate get in his way of doing what he believed needed to be done. The Texas Western Miners went on to beat the Kentucky Wildcats 72-65 to and became the first team in NCAA history to win a championship with nothing but African-American players. Regardless of their success, the hate didn't stop. Moments after the championship game ended, no one brought out a ladder for the team to cut the net off of the hoop, which is tradition for the NCAA. Neville Shedd had to carry Willie Worsley on his shoulders in order for them to cut the net. The Texas Western Miners had a huge impact on NCAA basketball in the long run. Many teams started to pick up more African-American players, and shortly after, the NCAA hired its first African-American coach. And that is all I got for y'all for this episode. I know I run a basketball podcast, but I feel like everyone should be educated on the situations occurring in our country. I'm not trying to push my beliefs on you in any way, but I'm going to express my feelings and opinions. Police brutality and racism are hurting our world, and they both need to come to an end. And if you don't support the protests that are happening right now, I ask you try and understand where our African-American people are coming from. They have been discriminated and live their lives in fear every day because of the color of their skin. Use social media and let your voice be heard to bring justice on racism and police brutality. This episode is dedicated to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Oscar Grant, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, Emmett Till, Rodney King, and many more. Thank you so much to everyone who continues to support me and listen to my podcast. And make sure to keep supporting and tuning in every Sunday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And also to make sure you're getting the latest info on my podcast, make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast. Also, let me know what you thought of this episode and maybe some previous episodes. I'd love to get feedback from y'all. And rather than give you an NBA player's quote, I wanted to give you something more that relates a little bit to the episode. And so today's quote is, There comes a time where one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him it is right. And that is by the one and the only Martin Luther King Jr. Until next time. The next thing, ladies and gentlemen, I want to share with you that some of you already know that it's hard. 
It's not easy. 